If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to uh, open it at Romans chapter 1. Uh, Jonathan was right to refer to the fact that we're going to consider for a few moments uh, verse 16 uh, of Romans chapter 1. But I want to read God's word from uh, verse uh, 8 uh, of Romans chapter 1 and take it through to verse 17. Let us hear the word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Let's just pray. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would speak now in your word. We pray, Lord God, that we would be receptive. That each one of us would have a heart that is open to receive from you. That you would encourage that you would inspire, that you would equip and that you would enable that we might honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good uh, to be back here with you at uh, Hamilton. Uh, In those opening uh, words that uh, Paul wrote to the church at Rome, uh, he said that uh, he was longing to see them, that he might impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, that we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. You know, it's been a uh, a privilege, just in a very small way, to uh, spend a little bit of time uh, with you as a church as you've been listening for God. Uh, 
Listening for God is to uh, what the vision, what the focus, what the values of the church should be uh, going forward uh, in the days, in the months, in the years uh, that God has for us. It's been a privilege just in a little way as a pastor uh, just over the hill from you uh, to come and to join with David and others in just thinking through, praying through, what is God saying? What is God saying specifically, uniquely, uh, for his people here in Hamilton Baptist Church? And uh, again, as I always do when I, I come to uh, another church, I bring you the greetings of Calderwood Baptist Church. I assure you that those folks are praying for you. I assure you that they're remembering you and all the work that you're seeking to undertake for the glory of God uh, here in this place and in this uh, this town. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders because everything rises and falls on leadership. Pray for your leaders as they listen for God, as they discern the mind of Christ amongst the people of God, as they seek to fashion and craft what God is saying into ways in which uh, you as a church can own that vision and be clear about that focus and live out your life in the light of the emerging values that God is at where is just sealing in your heart at this time. Pray for your leaders because everything rises and falls on leadership. I was uh, during the week uh, looking over uh, the division papers that you started to discuss as members of the church together. The, the four little circles of passion. Brilliant word, isn't it? Passion. Passion drives so many things. Not all of them are good. But it is from the root of that word compassion. You remember Jesus when he looked out upon uh, the lost and he saw them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, had compassion on them. And really the word actually means, you know, from from the very core of his being. In actual fact, uh, it it really uh, means from the bowels of his being. Passion is something that we feel very, very deeply, that we own in very precious ways, that drives all that we are. And I pray for you, because when as a people, you start to say that we want to be known as those who have a passion for Jesus. Well, that means that he becomes all-consuming. That means he is rightly enthroned over all other ambitions and plans and purposes. And when you say you've got a passion for mission, well, that means that you're going to prioritize your resource, you're going to prioritize your time, you're going to prioritize your energy around making this Jesus that you are passionate about known, both here and 
overseas. And when you say you've got a passion for worship, it doesn't mean that you love it when the, the band and the singers and all the musicians, they all just get it right. And when we praise God, oh, there's a sense of heavens coming down because worship is way beyond the praises of the people of God. It includes the praises of the people of God, but it is the absolute wholehearted devotion. Of the church's life. And when we say we've got a passion for people, we're brought right back to Jesus looking out and seeing folks as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, feeling it in the very bowels of our being and saying, what can we do? Of course, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And it was what he has done. It is what he is doing. It is what in the fullness of time we will see. And Paul, under obligation, Paul, driven by that passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ, was desperate to go to Rome. Desperate to go to the church at Rome there that he might bring some spiritual gift, that he might encourage them, that he might preach, that he might teach, that he might equip, enable, enthuse. You know, I've heard some uh, motivational teachers in my time. Well, I've heard some motivational speakers in my time. But not all of them have been teachers. You know, they've been fiery. They've got an energy about them. But they've not taught the people that are listening what it is to live it out. To make it real. To make a difference in the place in which God is putting them. But Paul was way beyond being a motivational speaker. He was a motivational teacher. And as he was longing to be at the church in Rome, hoping that this time he would be enabled to come and to equip them in some way, we get this beautiful little verse, verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, my friends, if truth be told, there are many, many things in life which I am utterly ashamed of. 
There are many, many things in the history of my life that if you were to know them, it would utterly appall you that one so angelic could be guilty as charged. But it's true. There are many, many things in life that I'm ashamed of. There are many, many things that I am so glad the grace of God in Christ has reached into, forgiven, cleansed, utterly white, clean, I never have a problem eating the bread of a communion service or drinking the cup because I know that it's for sinners like me. The brokenness of Christ's body, the brokenness of his body that pours his blood out, All of that is for the brokenness of my life. My relationship with him was broken in my rebellion against him. My relationship with others was not all that it should be in my rebellion against God. And God in Christ, in grace and mercy, on Calvary's cross makes it possible. Makes it possible for a sinner broken as I am to come to Christ to know forgiveness, to know cleansing, to know restoration and reconciliation, to have the brokenness made whole. So much that I'm ashamed of. And simply portrayed in bread and wine is the gospel. The gospel that Paul boldly declared, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And in my prayers for Hamilton Baptist during the week, I said, God, give me just a word that says, if you're serious about a passion for Jesus, if you're serious about a passion for mission, if you're serious about a passion for worship, if you're serious about a passion for people, then Lord, give me, give me just a word that I can speak in this context. I'm happy to answer any questions about how do we grow church and how do we minister in certain ways and how do we balance all of that. But give me something from your word that says if you're serious about all of this, and in my prayers and in my reflection, God took me to this verse again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, I am utterly unashamed of the gospel.
I love the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do stand beside Paul and say, Paul, preach it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel originates in the heart of God himself. You see, you and I, we didn't dream up the gospel. You and I didn't kind of write the script. You and I are just the glad recipients of the gracious heart of God who makes the gospel possible. This is God's gospel. This is not you and I's gospel. This is God's gospel. This is God's good news. This is his heart towards us. This is the grace and mercy of God overflowing in gratitude into your life. Lord, I'm an awful sinner. I know that. Receive the grace of God in Christ. Receive the heart of God. Receive the good news, which is God's good news. And then you meet Christian people. Well, I, 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 you know, I don't want to appear like a fanatic. Well, you should be a fanatic, right? You know, it doesn't get any better. This is God's good news. It's not something you've dreamed up. It's not something I've dreamed up. It's not something we made up for ourselves. It's not something clever. You know, you can always tell when we've dreamed up something and we think it's really clever. Usually when we share it, everybody else looks at it as if we're daft. But God's good news. That's what the gospel is. You see, Paul is completely unashamed because this is not his idea. This is God's idea. This is God's gospel. This is God's word for the world. It's so well named when we name it the word because the word is Christ himself. The gospel centers around the one that you say you're passionate about. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's interesting because we understand what Paul was saying. We want to stand with them. Oh, I'm going to be unashamed of the gospel. It's interesting because we live in a world where people are okay if you want to talk about God. People are even okay if you want to talk about faith, but don't talk about the uniqueness of Christ. Don't talk about Jesus being the only way. Don't talk about my need to repent and believe and put my trust in Christ. But you know, my friends, we're going to talk about all of that because we're unashamed of the gospel. It makes you incredibly unpopular. I am not ashamed of the gospel because this is God's good news. But not only is it God's good news, Paul realized something. Not only is this God's good news, but in actual fact, this gospel, this good news that we proclaim about our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the power of God at work. So whenever we declare the good news of Jesus Christ, God is at work. Not you or I. You see, there are many, many times when you and I are very busy. There are many, many times when you and I are very active. There are many, many times when you and I, you know, 
pile our energy, our time, our resources, our talents into doing some really good stuff. And it's important. But what's really important is that we do all of that in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we do that with a very clear gospel footprint. Because it's only the gospel which is powerful. When we declare the good news of Jesus Christ, God moves in power. Not you and I. God moves in power. The good news of Jesus Christ is what penetrates the hearts and lives of man and woman. The good news of Jesus Christ is what convicts a person of their sin and rebellion against God. The good news of Jesus Christ is what brings a person to that place where they utterly throw themselves on the grace and mercy of God. It's the power of God. It's the way in which God operates to bring about transformation in people. People that you're passionate about. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because this is God's gospel. And when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's powerful. What's it powerful for? It's powerful for the salvation. It's powerful for salvation. I was preaching this morning on the uh, account in Matthew's gospel, chapter 15, of the Syrophoenician woman. I don't know if you've ever looked at that chapter closely. Jesus moves out to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are out on the coast. It's Gentile territory. It's not Jewish territory. And when he's out there in Tyre and Sidon, you can check this out yourself later on, Matthew 15. He's out there in Tyre and Sidon. It tells us that a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman, came up to him. And she's incredible in her approach to Jesus. She calls him the son of David. You know, she, she's heard the reports about Christ. You know, she's, she's got sort of messianic names attributed to Christ. And you know, the incredible thing is that she approaches Jesus and she hails him in that way and she comes not for herself, she comes for her daughter who's possessed by a demon. And, and, and as she comes into the presence of Jesus, she, she's crying out for help. You know what Jesus does? He doesn't say a thing. He doesn't say a thing. And the disciples are around about Jesus and, and so she turns to them and the disciples turn to Jesus and they say, God, he did something about her. You know, she's getting on to us now. And Jesus turns to her and he says, you know, I, I, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's where I've been sent. He's incredibly consistent. Turn back a few chapters, Matthew chapter 10, you'll find when he sent them out in the first mission, in actual fact, he says, don't go to the Gentiles, go to the Jewish people. Incredibly consistent. There's a day coming when the Gentiles are going to come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, in the, in the revelation as we have it in the Gospels. But in actual fact, at that point, Jesus is there on earth and uh, 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 here on earth and he he just says, you know, I've been sent for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and this woman's persistent, and Jesus says the most staggering thing. He says, you know, that you don't take 
the bread that's for the children and throw it to the dogs. And Peter looked all out. What? This is Jesus speaking. Now you and I, we need to understand a little bit of the language he's using there because the incredible thing about the language he's using there is that amongst Jew and Gentile, it was common for Jews to call Gentiles dogs. In actual fact, most of them used the word for beasts. Jesus, in actual fact, used the word for the family pet, the little puppy. But in actual fact, uh, you know, it, it was a little bit like growing up in the West End of Glasgow, as I did. And you know, there were Protestants, Catholics, but we had many different names for one another. And I knew them all. And Jesus uses language like that. And then the woman says, but even the dogs get the crumbs from underneath the table. And Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Go. Your daughter is made whole. And he commends her faith. Staggering passage. What does it teach us? It teaches us. It teaches us that in actual fact, we do never come, nobody comes to that place of salvation unless they themselves are under a deep conviction about their need. And I meet people on a regular basis who, you know, they love the intellectual arguments, they love the debates. They love to kind of, you know, let's talk about the things of God. Let's debate the things of Christ. But at heart, their conviction is this, that they do not need God. And they do not need Christ. But that woman, she needed God. She needed Christ. Everything gets so upset and so offended by the language that's used, but not that woman. She doesn't get upset or offended. She knows exactly who she is, a person in desperate need of a salvation, of a deliverance, of a wholeness that she's convinced only Christ can bring. And Paul says the reason we must be gospel people, the reason we must be unashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, is that only that will deliver salvation. Only that. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given by which a man or a woman might be saved only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the staggering thing is that that Syrophoenician woman, she throws herself on her knees and she says, Lord, help me. She is a woman who is utterly, utterly needy. You know, so many of us have forgotten how desperate we were for the salvation which is ours. I came to Christ a desperate, needy, broken sinner. Everyone should come to Christ a desperate, needy, broken sinner. Everyone should come realizing they bring nothing in and of themselves Anything that he asks us to do. Is but by his grace. 
And Paul was unashamed of the gospel because he realized that only the gospel could bring a person to a place of utter need, of utter dependence of ripeness for salvation. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's gospel. It's got the power to transform people. It's the only thing that can save people. And it saves those who believe. Which then means that churches are full of people who totally needy, broken people have cried out from their knees for the grace and mercy of God in the gospel to come and forgive them and reconcile them and make them the person that God in Christ longs for them to be. And what does that person look like? That person looks like someone who will be utterly unashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ in any and every situation. And there are times when that gets sorely tested. Meet a number of people who work in the academic institutions of our world and they say, you know, it's getting really hard to be a Christian in our environment because, you know, you're kind of not allowed really to, to just take your stand for Jesus. It might cost you your job. You know, the interesting thing is, the Church of Jesus Christ in the early days was full of people who'd actually lost their jobs because they were unashamed of Jesus. And some people find themselves in situations whereby it kind of it's ethically tough. You've got to make decisions which are not quite in line with the Word of God, not quite in line with the good news of Jesus. But, you know, hey, you've kind of got to do that. And whoa, 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 whoa. I am not ashamed of the gospel. If I am truly a person who's passionate for Jesus, I'm passionate about every word he speaks. I'm passionate about every challenge he brings. I'm passionate about every promise he makes. If I am unashamed for Jesus, then the real mission of my life is that I do that which he longs for me to do. If I am unashamed of Jesus then and his gospel, then you know, I, I'm passionate about worship not just being for my Sunday gatherings, but worship being who I am in every moment of my day. If I'm unashamed of the gospel, then I want to draw alongside other needy people and bring to them the one message that can totally transform them. Which is why in all of the ministries of our churches, and I want to take that little exhortation in Romans chapter 1, this is not about Calderwood. This is not about Hamilton. This is actually about our churches. It's why I'm passionate that everything we do in our churches should be gospel-centered, should be gospel-driven. 
Now, there are many, many ways in which we can present the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many, many ways in which we can make Jesus known in our community. There are many ways in which we can relate to people and befriend people and win the opportunity to share with them the good news that we've discovered. But we must do all of that unashamed of the gospel. Encourage you with just a couple of things about some of the things that we quantify in ministry. Our family's workers do some incredible things incredibly well amongst mothers and toddlers. They do it in a way that's honoring to Jesus and unashamed to speak of Jesus. Their job club, which helps people get work. That's what it does. In fact, we've got the best record in East School Bride of getting people work. One in three people that come through our job club find employment. And recently, the person that heads up the Department of Work and Pensions came and said, you know, we give people £52,000 a year for running job clubs, but we can't give you guys a penny because you always talk about Jesus. But then she said, I won't ask you to stop speaking about Jesus because I've realized something. The reason your job club is more successful than others is because you talk about Jesus and the difference he makes in life. So you're 52,000 pound worse off. <clears throat> but I tell you, that's paltry when it comes to the opportunity to share Jesus with those that come through. Thomas brought our church accounts recently and it was great to hear him reporting because he was sitting there reporting about the church accounts and he said they were spent over £19,000 this year feeding the community. Some people choke when they hear that figure. But when you hear that, uh, you know, over, or just under, actually, 5,000 people are being fed and encouraged by those who are unashamed about Jesus. It's good news. It's good news because what's starting to happen in those different areas is they're in the ones and twos they're coming and saying, will you tell me about this Jesus? It's good news because they're coming needy. They're coming broken. They're coming realizing that life's a mess. And they need a saviour. And the saviour's not the church. The church is the bride of Christ. We point to the Savior. We lead them to the Savior. We take them to Jesus. He's the one who forgives sins, who cleanses, who restores, 
who reconciles, who makes new. We do that in ways that are in touch, not out of touch. We do that in ways which are tangible. We do that in ways that are real. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who will believe. I just marvel that God would call me. And I'll blow your mind. Why you? Why me? We don't deserve this. We don't merit this. We've done nothing to earn it. This is God's gospel. This is God's grace. This is God's transformation in a life. Connecting me to God. God, I'm not ashamed of your gospel. It's the only thing that changes anything. It's the only thing that transforms anything. In real, lasting, tangible ways. If you're passionate about Jesus, you're going to be passionate for the gospel. If you're passionate about mission, then the only thing you've got to take in mission is the gospel. If you're passionate about worship, then every day is a gospel day. If you're passionate about people, then the only thing you've got to offer them is the gospel. In unashamed ways. Preaching at a university one day. I used to do a lot of university work. It's always fascinating because People used to all arrive, and really what they wanted to do was a roast preacher. You know, they just kind of all there, all the bright intellectual types, you know. Much more intellectual than me. I got thrown out of school. Aye. What on earth I was doing at a university, only the gospel could, you know, could do that. But at the end of the day, I'm in a university mission, and all these people are gathered around. And this guy, ah, you're just weak, it's a crutch. says, thanks for that. I said, I'm going to tell you something that you didn't know when you said that. I'm going to tell you something else that will make you glad you didn't know when you said that. He says, but I spent two years of my life in crutches. He says, when I was a kid, I said a disease in my hip that basically meant I had one leg up and the other one in a caliper. And I spent two years of my life in crutches. He says, you didn't know that. She said, that's okay. He says, you didn't know you were having a pop at somebody who'd actually, for two years of his life, been disabled and had to get around in crutches. I said, so that's okay. Which is good for you, I says, because I wasn't a Christian when I had my crutches. I had a guy at school who slagged me off one day and he got one right on his skull. I said, so that's good news. So I want to tell you something. People who don't understand the gospel call it a crutch. 
It says, but people who understand crutches realize the liberty and the freedom that they bring. I mean, you can't walk and somebody puts a crutch in each arm. Suddenly you can run. I say, so I've got no problem with you telling me it's a crutch. I says, because I am needy and I need Jesus. And Jesus has taken time to awaken me to the fact that I need him. He's troubled my heart now because he's saving me from any trouble when I face him in eternity. And I'm so thankful that he did. I said, and when I was a kid and they gave me crutches, I started to play football again. I started to run again. I started to live again. I found the freedom that crutches can bring. He says, so if you want, you can say to me, I'm weak and I need a crutch. I'm prepared to tell you that's exactly true. I understand that without Christ, I am nothing. I understand that without Christ, I am lost. I understand that without the salvation which only he can deliver, I am eternally stuffed. And if Jesus Christ is my crutch, then I'm running again. I'm liberated again. I'm free again. I am unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed to say that I need Christ. I'm unashamed to say that I was lost without him. I'm unashamed to say that there is no other name given under heaven by which we might be saved other than in the name of Jesus Christ. If you think that's a weakness, fine. It's also my greatest strength. I am not ashamed of the gospel. So in everything that you're going to do, in unpacking the vision, in focusing your mission, will you have the good news of Jesus Christ in relevant, tangible, real ways, utterly central, at all. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation which is ours in Jesus' name. Forgive us when there are times in life when we've been ashamed of Jesus. Anoint us in such a way that whenever people hear us, see us, encounter us, they would see Jesus and realize that it's only in Christ that our lives can be made whole. In Jesus' name, amen.